0: I want to ask this question. What brings you joy? What brings you joy? <laughs> That's sort of rhetorical, but thank you. Good answer. And all the other men who didn't answer that right away can learn something right here. Uh, but t- take a moment. Like, what were you doing the last time? You just felt like pure joy. You know what I get joy from? I get joy from new experiences. I love the adventure of new experiences. Anyone with me? Uh, I love experiencing new places and new things, uh, you know, maybe new foods. Uh, I'm always wanting to check out new restaurants, you know. I just love the adventure of exploring. And, uh, and so some of you know that, uh, you know, exploring new places is something I love to do. You know, when I think about it, sometimes it bothers me how much of the world I might never see. Like, that bothers me. This world is so amazing, so beautiful. It bothers me sometimes how much of it I might never see. I just would love to travel more and, you know, all of that stuff. And, you know, in the year and a half that we've lived in Penticton, I've discovered that my explorations have sometimes taken me more places in a year and a half than some of the people that have lived here for years. Right? (laughs) Right? I mean whether it's up Giants Head or Campbell Mountain or down the creek, down the, the channel, on the wherever it is, I want to know what's going on around me. Carameas, you know, everywhere. I just want to see what, what's happening. I want to experience it all. Who's with me? You're that kind of person. I want to experience it all, right? Right? Some of you are you're like like homebodies. You're like, I'm good. You know, just give me my little, you know, space, and, and and I'm happy. Well, last week, as some of you know, I had the experience to uh, the opportunity to experience Vancouver Island for the first time. Yeah. And so I had a couple of days of meetings there with some pastors and we decided to turn it into like a week long vacation. And so we did the ferry for the first time and you get off the ferry and you're like, what are we getting into? And Just the beauty. We did, you know, downtown Victoria by the harbor and, and it was beautiful and, and it was really fun. We, we road tripped across the island. We, we spent a day in Tofino and uh, that was, uh, you know, beautiful to be sure. And, and so I checked out all of your recommendations. Some of you, you gave gave us lots of lists of places. We we saw the giant Douglas firs of Cathedral Grove. Uh, We saw the goats on the roof at Coombs. Yeah, we saw it all. We didn't go into the statue store at Coombs because someone said there's a lot of nudity in the statue store, so we didn't go in there. Thanks for that recommendation. We don't want to scar our kids for life. (laughs) Uh, We went to the floating restaurant at Euclid. It was just a lot of fun to explore. You know, it's always great when the experience lives up to the hype, right? And so I can officially say now that I've been to the West Coast and the West Coast is the best coast, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm in. But what's not so great though is when the experience doesn't meet your expectations. Have you ever had that? Where the experience doesn't live up to the hype? where someone's like, you gotta check out this place, you gotta go to this restaurant, it's the best, and you go there and you're like, I don't really see what the big deal was, right? Sometimes you read the reviews on Yelp and you, and you don't know what to believe. Is it like a good review or a bad review? And you just don't know what you're gonna get. And so that's when disappointment sets in. See, disappointment always comes from unmet expectations. Right. Whenever we have an expectation that's unmet, we end up with disappointment. That's why it's important if you are experiencing disappointment in something or in someone to ask yourself, uh, were my expectations fair and reasonable? How many know that like, if you want your husband to do something, you gotta tell him to do it? That's not fair or reasonable to say, well, he should just know. That's just not, you know, that's not fair or reasonable. That's Marriage Coaching 101 right there. We, we do that, you know. If you're having an issue, come and I'll try to help you out, okay? So is my expectation fair and, and reasonable? If your business advertises the best donuts on Vancouver Island, I have a fair expectation that it should be true. No, it wasn't so true. Right? When, when, yeah, it was, I was disappointed. Uh, but, you know, I'll be the judge of that, right? That should be it. Like, the best on the island, I'll be, I'll be the judge of that, right? But like, how many know that sometimes our expectation and the reality that we experience don't line up, Right? How many have ever seen a picture of fast food and you looked on the menu and it just looked so juicy and so good and then you got something that looked like this, right? This is reality versus expectation. How many have experienced this, right? Like this isn't meeting my expectations. Expectations. You know, some of you, you have high expectations for yourselves. You're on Pinterest. How many think, I have a question, let me do a little survey, this is off topic. I'm already coming unhinged, but, but the staff, they always tell me they like it when I get unhinged. Let me do a little survey. Like Pinterest, does it make you less creative because you're copying what other people are doing or does it make you more creative because you're inspired by what other people have done? What do you think? Like does it make you less creative? Like put your hand up if you think that, you know, does it make you more creative? okay alright so yeah there's you know but but some of us over uh, we overestimate and we expect more of ourselves than we can actually produce alright so, so look at this picture here's the expectation versus the reality <laughs> right? right we have high expectations and the reality doesn't always line up well one more for you here you some of you like your pets a lot you let your pets sleep in your bed Uh, They don't sleep in my bed. Here's the right, sleeping with pets. (laughs) And the same is true with children. I can attest to that fact (laughs) right there. Here's the thing. When it comes to life, we've all experienced the highs and the lows of having our expectations either met, exceeded, or disappointed, haven't we? We had our expectations. They've met, or they've been exceeded, Or they've been disappointed. And and so, you know, when things are going the way we hope, it feels like life couldn't get any better. And then sometimes we find ourselves, you know, the opposite, where it just feels like everything seems to be working against us. Someone said to me this week. They said it doesn't rain very often in Penticton, but when it does, it pours. When it rains, it pours. Right? So, I know mean, in your life, sometimes you know it doesn't rain often, but when it does, it pours. It seems like everything is working against you. Life can be a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster of emotions. It's a roller coaster of doubts and fears. Have, have you ever ridden that roller coaster up and down? You know, your courage levels up and down. Fears up and down. It's a roller coaster At one moment you feel like you're having the time of your life on top of the world and then the next moment it feels like everything's caving in all around you and you wonder if you're going to make it. See, we live in a culture that's obsessed with pursuing the highs. We want to pursue the happiness and the joy of life. If we had a, a slogan, if we had a mantra for our culture, I think it would be good vibes only you ever seen that at the market? You've seen the, the t-shirt, you've seen the bag, you've seen the sticker, good vibes only. How many would love to live in a world that's good vibes only? Yeah. Unfortunately, we know that that's not true because we know that often we're dealing with discouragement and disappointment and that there's a daily struggle in our inward lives. As a civilization, we're at the top of our game. We've made advancements beyond anything people could have imagined, the AI. You watch, like any truckies from like the 80s, you know, you used to watch Star Trek, right? We're living this now, we have AI, we have computers that are generating things and, and you know, maybe soon I'll start doing AI sermons or something, I don't know, I say, write me a sermon and then I'll preach it and see if you can tell the difference. We'll, we'll find out. You know, we're more connected than we've ever been through technology. Right? We have more information available than we've ever had at our fingertips. Entertainment is available to us 24 7. Remember when you used to have to wait a week for your show to come on? And now you can just binge watch the whole season all at once, right? On demand all the time. But yet we have the highest number of antidepressants. Any anxiety medications, we look at our, our rates, suicide is still one of the leading causes of death in our society, especially amongst the younger generations. And you look at that and you think, something's not adding up. Something's not adding up. We're further along than we've ever been, and yet we're still so far behind. See, God hasn't designed or purposed us to merely endure life. He hasn't designed it, but he wants us to have a life of fulfilling and an abundant life. His plan isn't that we would just get by and eke out some sort of living, living just, uh, surviving just another day, but God wants us to thrive and overflow with joy. One author put it this way. She said, joy is the feeling of grinning on the inside, right? Right? But how do you keep grinning on the inside when everything around you seems to be spinning? right? How do we have that kind of joy when it seems like the prevailing cultural narrative is one of hopelessness and despair? We say good vibes only. And we have this 24-7 news cycle that's just despair and doom and gloom. How do we live in this culture? How can we maintain our joy? Well, for the next five weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, one of the Bible's foremost and leading experts on the subject of joy. And we're going to see what they have to say. In this series, we're calling Joyful When Life is a Struggle. And so this morning, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles with me to the book of Philippians. Now, I said the book. I meant to say letter. I meant to say letter because we call it a book, but how many know that this book in the Bible is actually not really a book, it's a letter. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Let's read chapter one, verse one and two. It says, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. I'm glad he included the leaders in the church. That's awesome. May God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. So for context, we have this letter written by Paul to the church in Philippi. It's written about 61 AD, so just about 30 years after uh, the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, he's writing to Christians who had become part of the church he'd planted in Philippi just 10 years earlier. Just 10 years earlier, he'd been there. We see this story in Acts chapter 16. In Acts 16, we see how Paul had uh, this idea that he wanted to plant churches throughout Asia. And as he was traveling, he he felt like his plans kept getting interrupted, that he kept feeling as though God was putting a stumbling block in front of him from continuing with his plans. And eventually, he felt the Holy Spirit prompting him to go to Philippi, which was the first church that was ever planted in Europe uh, in in the Macedonian era. Area And so he planted this church and 10 years later he's writing this letter to the Philippians. Now what makes this letter unique from some of his other letters, if you read the other letters of Paul, uh, he's often bringing correction, he's often addressing issues within that specific church that he's trying to address. Uh, In Colossians, theologians believe that he never actually got to uh, Colossae and so that he actually didn't even have a relationship with the people there. But here in this book, he seems to have a lot of warmth and affinity for these people. It's a deeply personal book filled with affection and appreciation. And so uh, he is very personal, but he also lays out some of his clearest theology, especially his understanding of Christ. And so we look at this book, and if you looked up Philippians in any commentary, you'll see that one of the prevailing themes or subjects is the theme of joy. The theme of joy. Joy, or the word rejoice, appears over 16 times in just this little letter made up of four chapters. And so as we look at this book, we see this, this theme of joy. In fact, the key verse for this book is Philippians 4, 4. And uh, why don't we read it together? It says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let's read that together, all right? Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Joy. How many love Joy. I've been thinking about joy all week, obviously, as I've been preparing. Last, yesterday, I came in the house. I just sing songs randomly. If you were to come in, I'll just serenade you randomly. I came into the house. I started singing some Christmas song. And I said, I don't even know where that came from. You know, it just came out of my mouth. And I said, it must have been joy, right? I associate joy with Christmas or something. I don't know, right? Holly's like, what are you singing that for right now? And I'm like, I don't know. If you can do it in October, why can't I do it in May? I don't know. <laughs> joy as I got talking to people about this series I I'm preaching on Philippians and so many people Oh, I just love that book I just love that book it's this well-loved book but here's the thing Paul knows about life and about joy life isn't always perfect life isn't always good vibes only in fact it can be a struggle so how can we say always be joyful how can he say always be joyful well, this is what Paul shows us throughout this book. He knows and he wants us to discover that joy isn't based on our surroundings or on our circumstances. It's not based on our possessions or our experiences. I looked up joy in Merriam Webster Dictionary, and this is what it said joy is a noun, it's the emotion evoked by well being, success, or good fortune, or the prospect of possessing what one desires. Hmm, that's interesting. You know, most people in our city would probably report having some general sense of satisfaction with living their life. You know, they would say, yeah, my life is is pretty okay. You know, but what we see is that many people who have accumulated all the possessions, they've achieved the, uh, the achievements and their goals, they have all the experiences at their fingertips, they have all the relationships that they want, still report finding themselves looking for something more. Researchers have actually coined the term for it, they, say, they call it the arrival fallacy. The arrival fallacy, the, the arrival fallacy is this, when I achieve my goal, then I will experience perpetual joy. Once I've accomplished what it is that I have in mind, then I will feel joy. They actually have another name for it. They call it success hangover. Success hangover is the feeling after you've reached your accomplishments that it didn't bring as much joy as you thought it would, or that the joy was fleeting, or that you feel empty. They call it success hangover. I thought that I was gonna accomplish, and so I thought I would be filled with joy, but what I instead experienced was a success hangover. See, in the pursuit of our goals and our achievements, researchers tell us, our bodies produce dopamine. We love experiencing and accomplishing and the pursuit of our goals. And we have this chemical uh, reaction within our physical bodies, uh, the dopamine release. And it creates this feeling of happiness and joy. But once we've accomplished that goal, then there's no physical reaction. And because of that, we don't have the feeling that goes with it. Aaron Rodgers, a Super Bowl MVP winner, a future Hall of Famer, quarterback now for the Jets. Yes, my mother-in-law, Aaron Rodgers fan over here. He describes what it's like, what he felt on the team bus. In 2011, having just won his first Super Bowl, he says he's on the team bus and the whole team is passing around the Vince Lombardi trophy. They're all kissing it and hugging it and passing it around, just wanting to touch this trophy that represents the goal they'd worked so hard to win, the goal that is so elusive and hard to come by. And this is what Aaron Rodgers says, quarterback of the Green Bay Packers at this time. He said, I realized in that moment I was still looking for something a sense of clarity or purpose that was beyond my current line of sight. When you achieve that, and then there's another rung to climb up on this ladder, it's natural to be like, okay, now what? And then this is what he says. He says, I hope this isn't all I do. In that moment, this this goal, this achievement, having won the pinnacle of his sport, he says, I hope this isn't all I do in my life because it's not what I thought it would be. Hasn't brought this sense of satisfaction and purpose. See, I think there's a mistake that Merriam-Webster makes and that a lot of people make and that's associating joy the same as happiness. Happiness is really a response to what's happening around us. Happiness is really dependent on how we feel. The the psychologists and the doctors will tell us our happiness is a result of the chemical reaction of basically two chemicals, four of them really, but but the two main ones being endorphins and dopamine. How many know when you get a warm chocolate chip cookie, you feel happy? (laughs) The dopamines are hitting your body. You're just like, yeah, keep it coming, right? Some of you, I've heard about this, I've never experienced it myself, but you like to run. And there's this thing called a runner's high. Runner's high is when the endorphins hit your bloodstream and it feels good. It feels good after you've worked out, you've released those chemicals in your body. Your happiness is really based on how you feel. And how you feel is a result of the circumstances and what's going on around your life. The challenge though with these mood-boosting hormones is that the sense of happiness they bring is fleeting. Feelings are fleeting. If my joy is based on my feelings, feelings are fleeting. How many of you have ever just felt like I'm just out of sorts, right? I don't know why. There's no explanation. I just feel out of sorts, right? I don't feel happy. I just don't, I just, I don't know. If your happiness is based on what's happening and your circumstances dictate your feelings, what are you supposed to do when you find yourself in less than favorable, favorable circumstances, right? Less than desirable circumstances. Thankfully, the Apostle Paul, he doesn't just implore us to always be joyful. He's actually written a masterclass on how to maintain joy even when life is a struggle. And so as some, this is something that he's not just uh, knowing about. He's actually living it because one thing we haven't mentioned yet is that he's actually writing this letter to the Philippians from a Roman prison. He's imprisoned, and while he's in prison, he's saying to them, always be full of joy. Again, I say rejoice. And he's saying, I'm telling you that from this place that I'm in. Philippians 1, chapter 3. We're gonna read quite a bit together because, well, how can we do a study in Philippians if we don't read a lot? So let's read verse 3. I'll read to verse 14. Verse three says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. And Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. Say with joy. with joy. With joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it's right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. He's writing, if you go to Acts 16, remember, he's talking to the woman who was demon possessed and set free. He's talking to the Philippi- Philippian jailer. He's talking, he has these people in mind as he's writing this letter. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. First thing I want us to see this morning is that joy is a choice. It's the choice to see what God sees. See, life is either excuses or choices. Life is either excuses or choices. We can't affect what happens to us. Life happens to everyone. And we can't choose what happens to us, but we can choose how we respond. And because of that, life is either excuses or it's choices. The choices that we make. Henry Nouwen says this. He says, joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. Joy is a choice based on the knowledge that we belong to God and have found in God our refuge and our safety and that nothing, not even death, can take God away from us. Here's the thing. If joy is a choice, your joy can't be robbed from you. If joy is a choice, joy can't be taken from you. It has to be something that you give up. Let me tell you this way. That the devil can't rob your joy. He can't. Your, your neighbor, he can't steal your joy. Your hard-to-work-for boss can't steal your joy. Your ungrateful kids can't steal your joy. Your broken-down car can't steal your joy. The cat that you never wanted that lives at your house anyway, just started peeing on the carpet. <laughs> can steal my happiness, but I can't steal my joy. Happiness comes from our feelings based on what's happening around us and to us, but joy comes from having a different perspective. See, here we have Paul in this unpleasant place. He's in this unfavorable position, and yet he finds himself with this powerful perspective, the perspective of joy. You know, as a kid I remember this little saying, and it seemed really cheesy at the time, but but as I was thinking about it this week, I'm like, there's so much truth to this little saying. It just was joy, and it simply meant Jesus first, others second, yourself last. It's the pattern, it's the recipe for joy. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. The perspective of joy. Let me talk about Jesus first. See, Paul finding himself in prison, instead of bemoaning how much his position sucks, instead of bemoaning how miserable he is and how unfair this is that this is happening to him, he's actually celebrating how this experience can be used to spread the good news and the gospel of Jesus. He's writing them and he says, hey guys, guess what? This sucks. But the benefit of it is, there's some people in this jail that know about Jesus now who wouldn't have known otherwise if I wasn't here. Isn't that incredible? I don't know if I'd have be so quick to have that perspective. I'm just being honest. He says, I want you to know that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. I don't wanna be here. I didn't choose to be here, but I can choose what I'm gonna do while I'm here, and that's represent Jesus Christ the best that I can. I, maybe you didn't choose your job. You could walk away if you wanted to, but, but maybe you didn't choose your boss. Maybe you didn't choose your family members. Maybe you didn't choose the cat. I don't know, right? But you can choose to have joy in the midst of it. And he says, I'm choosing to represent Christ to the best of my abilities, to people who would otherwise I'd never have the chance to meet. You know, we could be tempted to think that our joy is dependent on our circumstances. If my circumstances were different, then I'd have joy. But given the right environment, I'd have joy. Given the right people around me, then I'd have joy. The Bible says that there's a joy, actually, that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit is joy, and it's a different kind of joy. It's not a joy based on what's going on around us, it's a joy in spite of. It's an in spite of joy. In spite of this, I'm choosing joy. In spite of my circumstances, I choose joy. In spite of my failure, I choose joy. In spite of my persecution or opposition, I have this defiant joy that stands in stark contrast to bitterness, And resentment. Have you ever met someone and you're this, I don't know how you have that kind of joy. Right? In your position, I would totally understand if you were bitter and resentful and yet they have this joy about them that's beautiful, it's a defiant joy. James 1, 2 says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. Knowing that the testing of your faith gives you an opportunity to produce the character of Christ in you. You know what happens when you exhibit courage and Christ-likeness under pressure? It inspires other people to rise to the occasion. It inspires other people to exhibit the same qualities. You'd think that seeing their friend in prison for sharing the gospel of Jesus would have made the other believers cower in fear. You would have think that maybe they would have kind of disappeared in the shadows, but instead it has the opposite effect. Verse 14 says, because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and they boldly speak God's message without fear. They're saying, well, if the guy in prison can have joy, if the guy in prison can reflect Christ where he is, I guess we could do it where we are too. This is Pentecost Sunday. Paul says that the Holy Spirit is given so that we would have the power to be Christ's witnesses. Right? Not just to speak in tongues, not just to see miracles, not just to have intimate communion with Jesus, although those are some of the things that are the byproduct, but so we'd have the power to be Christ's witnesses. Jesus first. Others second. One of the, as I was looking here, one of the first things that stood out to me about this letter is that Paul goes 12 verses before he mentions anything about his own predicament. You know, if if you were writing this letter, you might, you know, right off the top say, hey, just wanted to let you know how I'm doing. You know, let me tell you about me and the position that I'm in. Paul doesn't start there. He doesn't get there until 12 verses in. In the first 12 verses, he's talking about this. He says, I want, I'm thinking about you. My friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, many of you who I personally led to Jesus and others I haven't met yet. But instead of asking them to pray for him, pray for me. I'm in this horrible position. He's saying, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. They'd been part of his journey. They'd sent him care packages. And you know, scripture says that they'd sent him people to encourage him in his imprisonment. But he says, I'm praying for you. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. And whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard until now. There's so much in this book. I'm just going to put this in there for free. From the time you first heard, the moment you found out about Jesus, you begin to become a witness to Jesus' power in your life. Let that encourage you today if you're a new believer. It's amazing. I love new believers. They're so energetic and excited about what God is doing. I don't know if Paul meant to do it on purpose, but I think he gives us here a perfect outline on how to stay joyful even when life is a struggle. He says here, every time I think of you, say I think. We gotta remember what God has done. If you find yourself losing joy, it's probably because you haven't been thinking about what God has done in your life. All through scripture, we see the Old Testament especially, God had given the people a pattern. Every time you met with God, you were supposed to take rocks and build a marker, build an altar, build a marker. And that's what they did all through, Israel did all through, and and Jesus said, your your children are gonna come, and they're gonna go, what does that pile of rocks symbolize? And in that moment, you'll be able to say, that's where God met with me. That's where God spoke to me. There, as a journey to cross the wilderness, all behind them was a line of markers time after time. This is what God's done. This is what God's done. As I look to the future and I don't know what the future holds, I can look in the rear and go, this is what God's done. He's been faithful. So if he's been faithful all this time, I can trust God for whatever lies ahead. Amen? Amen. It's the pattern God set for us. How do you gain strength for tomorrow? Remember the faithfulness of God yesterday. Paul's in prison, he says, I think about you and I remember what God has done in your life. I remember what God has done for your life. And as he's remembering, something else says, he says, I give thanks. I give thanks for you and for God, what he's done through you. How many That gratitude is a seed of joy. I want to encourage you today, instead of thinking about what isn't, think about What is. Paul could have been sitting there going, I'm not free to do what I want to do. He would have been right, but he's also saying, but I'm here and I'm free to tell these people around me the good news of Jesus. Don't think about what isn't, think about what is. We spent our whole life, my neighbor just got AstroTurf this week. He literally has the grass that's greener on the other side of the fence. (laughs) I'm spilling all the beans. I have a yard that's torn up and peed on by the dog and brown. Another animal that I didn't invite into our home. You're going to discover Pastor Jerry's not even like the head of his household. I don't know. I do it because I love them. I allow it. I'll allow it. I've I've been watering and seeding and planting and all that. You know what I'm saying? Don't think about what isn't. Think about what is. Think about what is. We have a beautiful dog who brings joy to our family. Gratitude is the seed of joy. If we're always thinking about what isn't, we're gonna find ourselves lacking in joy. He says, I think about what God's done, I give thanks, and the result of this is that I pray with joy. The result is that I pray with joy. I think about what God's done, I give thanks for what he's done, and the result is that I pray with joy. Even in the midst of this difficult circumstances, I want to encourage you to love what God is doing. Love what God's doing. As I love what God's doing amongst you, Philippians, it brings me joy, even though I'm not there to enjoy it. I want to encourage you, maybe, if you can't celebrate what God's doing in your life right now, maybe you're going through a hard situation, I want to encourage you that the path to joy is to celebrate what God's doing in other people's lives. Maybe you find yourself, you haven't had the answer to prayer, Maybe you're listening to Carrie's testimony. You're like, oh, I wish that was my testimony. Be rejoicing for Carrie. Rejoicing that like God's done that in her life and say, God, if you can do it for her, I pray you'll do it for me. I have some friends and they couldn't have children. And every time someone got pregnant around them, we were all kind of like, oh, I don't want to say anything because I know it's a hard struggle and that, it really is hard when that's the desire of your life. I know some of you have experienced that. But what my friends says is that we don't want you to feel bad for us. We want to celebrate what's happening in your life even though we're not seeing it happening in ours. How many know that's the key to joy? It's the key to joy is celebrate what God is doing. Whenever I hear about another church, we have a great church by the way, this is fantastic. You know, it's it's amazing to be in this position. I was talking to someone this week that doesn't go to church and they're like, I can't believe your church and God's doing some great stuff there. God's doing some great things in churches all around our region. But when I hear of another church that's winning and you know having success, I don't want to look at them and go, "Well, whoa, that sucks for them because you know, you know, like, you know, I wish it was happening to us, you know, whatever." You know, what? you know what I mean, like the comparison trap. So I want to celebrate what God's doing in your life. I want to celebrate. There's not, a, there's not enough churches in this town to hold all the people that live here if they all went to church, right? So I pray the success and the blessing of all the churches. I want to love what God is doing and celebrate what he's doing in other people's lives. And lastly, Paul comes to himself. I, I've thought about God. I want to represent him where I am. I've been thinking about you and praying for you. And this, he comes to himself. Philippians 20 Verse uh, 21, verse 20. And he comes to himself. This is a really reflection, an intimate look at how he's feeling. I fully expect and I hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more faithful work for Christ, so I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between these two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Imagine in this position, Paul is saying, live or die, I win both ways. Live or die, I either get to serve Christ Jesus here on this earth, or I get to be in his presence day to day for eternity. So win-win situation for me. You know, we live with the, we have this temptation to think that this is what life is, right? We think about people and we say, well, they're gone too soon. But how many know if you're a believer, too soon is kind of relative, right? This is just a short stay. We think that this is what life, this is what brings us joy. And we do love this life. Paul says that this is just a foretaste. This is like, we have this expectation that this is life, but Jesus is saying there's a reality. There's a reality that there's an eternity that we're a part of, and that this is just a moment in time. We think that this minute is what really matters, but this minute is minute to eternity. So Paul says there's a joy that surpasses our circumstances. There's a peace that passes our understanding. He says this, Joy that the Spirit gives us right here and right now is just a foretaste. It's just a, 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 a teaser. It's like the appetizer of what eternity is gonna be. When we have joy in the midst of chaos and joy in the midst of hardship, Jesus is saying this is just a foretaste of the joy that you're gonna have when I make all things new. When I actually do bring you to this place of, of peace and wonder and glory of God. When we have peace and we have joy in the midst of hardship, it's like God is saying to us, relax. There's more to life than this. Relax. There's more to life than this. You might find yourself in a difficult situation, but there's more to life than this minute that you're in. This morning, I don't know why life is sometimes difficult. I don't know why things go the way they do. I don't know why people are the way people are sometimes, but I know that there's a God who's good. I know there's a God who loves you. There's a God who, as Paul says, will finish what he started in you. And because of that, you can choose joy today.